Welcome, everyone. I'm Tim Jamal, CEO of NAOP SoCal. I'm pleased to welcome everyone to our podcast series where we interview those who shape and drive commercial real estate in Southern California. NAOP SoCal is the premier association representing commercial real estate in Los Angeles and Orange Counties. More than 1,000 real estate professionals and executives and 500 of the top commercial real estate firms in Southern California are part of the powerful NAOP SoCal network. NAOP SoCal provides unique networking, top-notch education, and public policy advocacy for our members. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast today, Jana Turner. Jana is a commercial real estate veteran with more than 30 years of experience in the services sector. Jana has been a principal at Retz Associates since 2008, following her exit from CBRE, where she was president of Asset Services. RETS is a recruiting and executive search firm serving the real estate industry. Jana thrives on networking with the diverse talent in the real estate industry. She has a passion for mentoring and especially loves guiding women in commercial real estate to success. I am really pleased to welcome to the podcast today, Jana Turner. Jana, welcome. Thank you so much, Tim. Happy to be here. Yeah, I've heard so much about you, so I'm so excited to actually get to talk to you. Um, but what we what we like to do, or what I like to do, um, uh, is kind of step back at the beginning and 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 hear a little bit about you know you personally. Um, and we usually start out, but you know, where did you grow up, and what were those experiences like? Well, um, up until a year ago, I was a native Californian. Uh, had a wonderful Southern California typical childhood. I'm going to age myself a bit, but yeah, uh, well, I, I'm I'm aged too, so we're you have you have company. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the days where you could be out in the street and play till dark, and um, you know, ride your bike five miles away with no questions asked, etc. So. Um, had a, a lovely childhood. I was always the neighborhood organizer. I guess I had that business sense at a young age because I would organize the talent shows on the block, but I always had to be the the top biller. So it was, it was <laughs> Paul McCartney, the Beatle, in our little Beatle band. So just um, went to elementary school and uh, junior high and high school. And then uh, decided to venture off to college. And uh, I hate to admit it, but I followed a, a little uh, boyfriend to a college in Flagstaff, Arizona, Northern Arizona University. And I ended up absolutely loving it. Um, I started out as a broadcast journalist. So I'm particularly loving doing this podcast, Tim. Oh, that's great. Maybe you can, maybe we can have you guest host a few, few of the episodes. I would love that. <laughs> and, um, but unfortunately a, uh, guest speaker came to a class my sophomore year and, um, uh, announced how long it would take to be an anchor. And I would be doing the night beat in Fresno and Barstow and handling, you know, accidents and yep. cases. Yes. And I thought, holy Toledo, that isn't for me. So I walked directly over to the College of Business 
and um, changed my major to business, and uh, the rest is history there. And uh, had a wonderful time. Uh, I highly recommend the college. I have to plug NAU. I know a lot of um, Southern California kids have gone there. Gives you all the seasons. It's a nice size college. You know, they have accredited business school, a lot of other accredited um, colleges there. And it's just a really, really great experience. Well, that's awesome. Um, I, you, you said something that made me think, because one of the questions I you know, I try to ask everyone is, um, are you doing now what you thought uh, you wanted to do when you were growing up? And I, I mean, I, I get a sense kind of because you were the talent organizer when you were growing up and now you find talent. <laughs> yeah, isn't that ironic? Um, no, I never thought I would be in real estate. I I thought uh, initially, um, going back to my childhood, I was fascinated with cash registers. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. I My parents, I remember they gave me a cash register when I was about four years old. And the sound of that drawer opening was like so exciting to me. And I played store a lot. So I thought I wanted to be a grocery checker. And then um, I went from that to, uh, I wanted to work at the cleaners because I liked that little thing that twirled around and you'd pick out the little, your receipts out of there. And um, fortunately I didn't go in that path because that's all been automated. And so no more cash register, et cetera. So, you know, you know, I really, and I probably still do, Tim, want to be a broadcast journalist. I, any chance I get to public speak, I, I just relish it. And um, so I'm excited about what we're doing today. However, uh, I really, it's ironic. And I, I guess I want to give some advice to kids coming out of college. I just had no idea. Um, I did well in school and... Um, I'll tell you later on in the podcast kind of what uh, gave me a lot of confidence out of college, but I just had no idea what I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, how parents always help their children. My father, uh, the bank that he deposited in, I worked in the summers um, and enjoyed it. It was a nice summer job, you know, did a bank teller, you know, did some loan work, et cetera. So they hired me and I was to set up an HR department, if you can believe that. <laughs> I think there's, 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 but there's nuggets of like tea leaves of that are directing you in the direction you've ended up. I mean, HR, talent organizer when you're growing up. <laughs> I know, I guess so. That That's, I really didn't think about that. Well, I don't think this happens to many people on their first day of work. But I started at the bank. I was 21 years old. And this woman that was an equal opportunity officer um, in the bank, the days you had to have that, I think she was nervous about me taking her role. Um, But we went to lunch and uh, she had a cerebral hemorrhage at lunch with me. Oh, no. Yeah. So I... And that was in the days where it was rotary phone, you know, jumping up from the table, dialing zero, uh, no cell phones, you know, going to the hospital, the whole nine yards. So uh, that was that was my welcome to uh, the working life. 
I didn't stay at the bank more than six months because I just, I just wasn't comfortable. That wasn't my thing. And you, so it's okay to start something is what I'm saying and just feel it out. And then, uh, you know, look for something else, which I did, but, uh, the irony of it is, uh, luck plays a big part, I think in, in careers at times. And I happened to be at a party and a gentleman had just taken a job. When was with, this? When were you, yeah, this party? 1977. Okay. This was in Arizona. No, it was in Southern California. Okay. I just went to school in, in Flagstaff and came back to Southern California. And he started telling me about this firm that bought these seven commercial properties from the coal company, which ironically, I went to work for uh, seven, uh, let's see, uh, 13 years later. I had no idea I was going to work for this coal company, but the firm R&B bought these seven properties from the coal company and they were some in Northern California and some in Southern. And he was telling me, oh, they're looking for like leasing agents where you could manage and lease the property. Mm -hmm. And I thought that sounded fun. (laughs) So he got me an interview. They hired me and I had the time of my life. The first day on the job, I leased um, I lease space and I, I thought I was the cat's meow. <laughs> so, um, had a great career at R and B, uh, for 10 years, really grew that division with them, ended up running basically the West coast, which was a, a big part of their business and, um, two big buildings in century city, uh, 1900, 1901 Avenue, the stars, I think back, Tim, and I was, gosh, 27, 28, overseeing a portfolio that included those buildings. And I had, I, I never managed anything more than two stories. So <laughs> they, you know, a 20 and 19 story high rises uh, in Century City was was really something else. And I, I guess being naive and you must have been confident, though, Jana. I mean, to be able to, in that situation, I don't want to say you faked it, but you showed something that. Re- no, you had to be. You know, I, 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 I think I didn't know what I didn't know, and uh, it was just those buildings were beautiful, and um, we had a tenant mix like you wouldn't believe. Michael Milken was my tenant, Norman Lear. I mean, I had just a, an array of stars and, and business people. So um, I just, I really enjoyed that. We had the buildings for five years made. I think they ended up making, you know, 50 to a hundred million dollars uh, in increased value during that period of time. So I was really proud of that. And so after 10 years, um, Howard Ruby, who owned a majority of the company, uh, was smart and said he needed to start diluting the portfolio because of the market. And so the whole division started shrinking. And so then I, off I went to, um, I had a brief stint with Heitman. And again, I went from 10 years with one firm and then I was only six months at Heitman. That wasn't a good environment for me, but it was okay. I, I learned, I knew what I didn't want to do and I knew my value and, uh, the coal company hired me. 
1990. And um, one of your questions was influencers in my career. And I have to say, Bill Rothy was a primary mentor, supporter of, of my career. And I would not have had the success I had and been able to semi-retire at a very young age without Bill Rothy. What did he do that was so valuable to you? He protected me. I mean, I was working for a firm that was incredibly male-dominated, a development company. And day one, I went in and started changing things there. I changed how they answered the phone. And everyone's like, what? And um, I changed how the leasing team, uh, who they reported to and how deals were approved. Before it was any deal could be approved, and I just felt it was a little bit fox in the hen house. And so I changed the protocol on that. So that was a big move. The clients that we had, they were, uh, Don Cole had all joint venture partners. He had Aetna, he had Cigna, he had Heart Advisors. And so um, they were the money source and, and Don was a sweat equity. So um, I just felt that we needed to have protection for the client. And um, so I made a lot of changes at that organization, which did not bode well with a lot of the uh, longtime people there. But in the end, it, it, I think it really helped the value of the company because Cole ended up selling to um, CB at the time, which morphed into CBRE. And um, that was in 1997 that they sold coal management services to uh, CB. Hmm. And um, it was a very, uh, it was a rocky transition because coal had been buying a lot of small firms during my tenure there. And then all of a sudden to have someone buy us, you know, the tables were turned. Was it, was it rocky? Was it culture? Was it, what was, because I'm always fascinated by, mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures, and you know, I've been involved in seeing some of them not go so great uh, and, and eventually sometimes work out, but sometimes they don't. What was, what do you think the issues were? Was it more culture? Oh, it was a huge cultural change. Uh, CB had a very long history. I mean, at that time they were 90 years old. Coal management services was seven years old. We were incredibly entrepreneurial. Um, people said to me, oh, Jana had a brochure. She had a company. You know, I created an engineering company. I created a little tech um, company. And um, when we went to CB, everything was very structured, lots of rules. Um, and I remember them saying to me, it, because I, it was at, at Cole, it was, you could do anything if it made money, if it made sense and made money. So that's what I liked about Bill Rothy. Oh, that's was, entrepreneurial. That's an entrepreneurial yeah. mentality. Oh, he, he loved it. You know, we'd come up with ideas. He'd support us. He started the facility management business for Cole, which subsequently became a big part of CB with their corporate services. And this was, people weren't even thinking of that, Tim. And so I really learned from him, you know, he, he was brilliant. And he, so he was always teaching you, he was supporting you, he protected me. And, you know, 
started me on my way to getting equity, you know, gave me stock uh, when I was at coal. So always was incredibly fair from a compensation standpoint and kept me on par with the men. And I was very- Well, let, me, well, let me ask you about that because that uh, is something I wanted to talk about. And, you know, your describe what it has been like or is like, I guess, but has been like to be a female in an industry that is historically dominated by men? You know, I get asked that question quite a bit. I know you do. (laughs) And um, I have to be really honest with that. When I was, when I, early on in my career at, at, at R&B, gender wasn't an issue. There were a lot of women in that company. And Howard Ruby started in the multifamily where there were a lot of women and regional managers, and they just did very well in the multifamily. And Howard felt he transferred a lot of the multifamily practices over to the commercial. So I never felt any gender issues or, or any, I was very inclusive environment for me. When I got to Cole, it, it was it was very different because that was more of a development and it was more male dominated. And, and I, as I look back, I changed things very quickly and maybe should have taken more time doing that. Then when I got to CB, it it, it got, it, it enhanced itself because again, it was a brokerage firm per se, trying to be an integrated service provider. And it was, struggling because the brokerage uh, environment really dominated. You know, you go where the money is. So um, that's for sure. Yeah. And so I, I was, um, I was a fighter. I I do admit that I, I really uh, fought for the people that worked for me because I had the highest amount of salaried employees. Again, brokers were commissioned. So I was really, you know, focused on medical benefits and um, salaries and and any anything related to that whole comp package because it wasn't just commission uh, environment. Uh, but I do have to say, Brett White was very supportive of me, and um, he did the same thing. Bill did, uh, not to the degree that Bill did, but he protected me, supported me. But I have to tell not only women that might be listening to this, but but men, I had to ask for everything I got. It was not, Jenna, you're doing a great job. Here's an increase. And it first hit me when we did the acquisition of Insignia back in 2003. And, you know, I have all the comp information and my peer was making far more than me and was a male. Well, that situation immediately gave me a big increase. (laughs) Yeah. Well, how did you feel when you saw that? Was it anger? Anger? Was it mostly anger? (laughs) Yeah. I was not a happy camper and I let it be known. I said, well, this, I said, this is an easy adjustment. So when we're underwriting this, this is kind of where everything's going to be. And they agree. So um, from that point on, I think it was an eye opener for CB. And I felt they treated me very fairly after that. 
Um, so all of the equity was on par with the, my male counterparts. And uh, I, I believe my comp was too. So I have to say, you know, after a few bumps in the road, they were very inclusive and um, again, uh, put me on par with uh, the male counterparts. But still, um, I think it was also just um, when I go back to asking, you know, I, I, I ask, you know, to discuss my comp. I ask to discuss the options. I ask for title changes. I, I was, you know, I remember Brett saying to me, you're never going to be satisfied. And I said, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Always seeking. That's okay. Yeah. But I also want to emphasize that you can't just ask for the sake of asking. You have to quantify your difference. And I would always bring forth the accomplishments I had made. And they had to really have a financial orientation to them because we were public and it was hitting the EBITDA. It was, you know, growth, um, no margin dilution margin enhancement. So I stayed very focused on the financial performance of my division. So my numbers spoke for themselves and supported whatever I was asking for. So I always tell people, you must keep track of your performance because you'll forget what you did 90 days ago. You, you just have to keep a running tab of what you're doing. And it, it becomes a very easy conversation with your boss when you're wanting something if if it proves itself out on paper that's really good advice very good advice well let's talk about your your current well before we do that i you mentioned something earlier um i I think you mentioned something that happened when you were at, at northern arizona that um propelled you in some way or gave you confidence or did I hear that yeah. incorrectly? Yeah, you did. Yeah, it was, um, I still remember it to this day. It was, you know, where it's just so compelling. I remember, I, I almost remember what I wore that day. So we had in the business college, there was one final course that was a compilation of all that you had learned and it was case studies and you would just get three case studies in a semester. And the professor was just just a crusty old character. And he was uh, really hard, hard on the issue, should I say, soft on the person. Uh, you know, pushed all of the students. So we had this first case study. And you had to evaluate what position this company was in and why was it in it and what were some solutions to help them get out of this situation. Well, the little boyfriend that I had followed to college had had that class. He was older. He was four years older. And he said, oh, no one gets an A. He fails three-fourths of the class. And and I was just, I was so nervous. And um, so the exam comes out and it's like four questions. And you're writing away for two hours. So uh, we come back the following week and uh, he gives the grades out in order of performance and everybody knows. So if you get your name called first, you know, you're king of the hill. 
Yeah, that didn't happen to me very often. No, no. So, <laughs> so, so all of us are kind of sitting. It's theater style, so we're sitting way up at the top. We're like, oh, we don't want to be seen here. This is not going to be good. So he gets up there and he says, "Well, we don't have a captain of the ship this year." He goes, "A woman outdid all of you." He said. I gave an A minus to this person. And the reason I gave him a minus is I had a hard time reading their writing. (laughs) And we're all like, oh, it's that Susie down in front. She's really smart. And he called my name. Wow. Oh, my gosh. The good news is I was thrilled. The bad news is I thought I was the next CEO of the biggest company in life. (laughs) (laughs) I really thought I could do anything. So you had swagger. You had swagger. Oh, and everybody wanted to be in my study group. I got (laughs) all these new friends. And so um, the next, the the next exam, I got a B and then I ended up getting an A on the, on the following one. But I have to tell you that achievement really was impactful to me because it gave me the confidence that, Mm -hmm. you know, I have strategy, you know, and I can, I can think through, you know, some big picture issues. I'm not just A plus B equals C. And um, so what they ended up doing, which was at the college, what I found out later is that the business college would kind of recommend a couple students to these firms coming to interview um, and recruit. And apparently my name got on there. And because every time I go in to interview, I, they didn't ask me a question. They just kept selling the company. And I said, this is easy. But um, so I got offered a lot of jobs, but I just, it just did not, it just didn't resonate with me. Any of them. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's a great story. Uh, confidence is, as you uh, know, oh, it's, it's, it's more than half the challenge if you have that. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's, let's talk about your current role. Let's, Talk okay. about what's going on today and the Rets Associates and how the you know how you got started there and how the how the firm got started. Uh, it's a great story. Um, when I first started at Cole, uh, I've been there maybe a year, I think, and um, a lot of people know who Wadi is in the industry. Um, He's at um, CT Realty running it now. He had been at Cole. He's a character. And he came to me and said, you have to hire this guy. And I go, I don't have a role. And he goes, oh, he's good. He's a Berkeley grad. You're going to love him. So I ended up hiring Ken Elliott. And he worked for me for, uh, I might get my dates wrong, but I think it was eight, nine years. And really served as a COO type. He was very smart, very organized. And when I we did two big acquisitions, uh, he was right there with me and helped make those successful. Well, the minute he got his MBA, he quit. Um, he had that entrepreneurial sense. And so in 2001, he started um, real estate talent solutions, and it was strictly interim staffing. And it primarily was for the property management industry because you always need to have on-site staff on, on buildings. And when you'd have unanticipated resignations or a termination it, or there were pregnancies, you had to fill 
backfill those positions. And that's what Kent did. And it was, he was a one man band and did that um, for seven years. And then when I left CB at the end of 07, where I basically was retiring, um, he and I got back together. You were, re- you were retiring in 07. Yeah. What, I, what were you planning to do? <laughs> I, you know what? I really, that was a good question. I was just, I had, I, I fortunately had accumulated a lot of stock over uh, 17 years and didn't need to work anymore. And I had traveled so much. And, you know, it was affecting my health. And I just thought, gosh, somebody, uh, I need to, to get off this train. And, and I agreed to help with the Trammell Pro integration. So I stayed for a year after uh, CB bought Trammell Pro. And um, I just, you know, I guess I wanted some time off, Tim. And I, I just was going to worry about that next. Sure. I, I no, I understand. Very- I was very involved in a charity and was really liking the philanthropic work that I was doing. So I thought that would take up half my time. So long and short of it, Ken approached me and uh, I thought, wow, I have so many relationships with clients and candidates. Um, I had a a team of 3000 when I was at CB. So he and I, I bought out part of the, his other partner, and then we just started growing the firm. So we went from interim to permanent to executive and then have offices now in Dallas and Charlotte and Denver and San Jose, San Francisco, um, Austin. I've just got to think how many we have. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. You have so many yeah. that you can yeah. get in, barely tick them all off. <laughs> yeah. And um, have a great team. So over the last 13 years, you know, we've just morphed into, you know, I think the go-to commercial real estate recruiting firm. Um, it's been a lot of work. Uh, you know, our existing clients are key and our, our team is, is just essential. And um, Kent's just done a great job hiring and retaining um, our team. So well, we've let been me together add- 25 yeah almost between the two companies. Wow. Well, I know that like, I know finding and retaining talent is, I mean, that's one of the preeminent challenges of our time, really. It's facing all industries, including commercial real estate, or not just commercial real estate, other industries are all facing um, a challenge finding and retaining top talent. So how have you, how have you guys differentiated yourself? Um, well, we, we have a unique platform. Um, we're not your typical recruiting firm. Half of our team came out of the real estate industry. So we have actual practitioners that have either done a role, managed the role, reported to a role, you know, sat side by side mm-hmm. in a role of what we recruit for. And then the other half are professional recruiters. So we have a great cross-pollination of, of recruiting types where they really work well together. And there's, there's speed to market with our clients. We understand the, the position very quickly. 
we understand the KPIs, the metrics, all the things that go around a position. So that's that's number one. We're just not your typical recruiter. Okay, we're going to throw a resume at you. We're um, really don't know much about the position or the company, but we we take a lot of um, pride in having that resident knowledge. And then you're um, not a mill. You're not a recruiting mill. Mm-hmm. You. We're more partners, consultants, advisors, because mm-hmm. we do a lot of advising to our clients too. And um, then on top of that, over you know the last twenty years, our, our database has gotten so extensive, and we keep it very current. So we have a lot of uh, secret sauce in that database. And so we're pretty proud of that. Plus, it's always it also provides a lot of information. We have real time data to share with our clients in terms of what's going on with comp, what's going on with needs, wants, and desires of these candidates. You know, we do surveying of position types. One of them is financial analysts every year, and we get a very good response um, because the amount of people in our database that we have that fall in these various categories. And our responses are make could be up to 20%. So we have good input to give to our clients to guide them on what these candidates are looking for today and how to best position them to secure the best talent. So we're also an information um, vehicle for um, our clients regarding uh, recruitment and hiring. Uh, so it's interesting you're, you know, you're, you are a talent placement, talent search, executive search, advisory firm. Um, you um, help find the right talent for your clients, but at the same time, you have to maintain your own talent within your own right. firm. Right. So, so I'm interested. Uh, you you touched on it a little bit. You have a blend of those with direct industry uh-huh. knowledge with. Um, and also recruiting experience is um, how do you manage to keep that at a, at a high level to find your own talent for what you're doing? You know, that, that is, um, that's key. And again, I think, and I have to give, well, Kent and I both have done it, um, but he's more day to day with each uh, of the recruiters, but um he is, uh, we, what I consider our firm to be, Tim, is a lifestyle company. We are very keen on our team having a balance. Uh, most of our recruiters have families. And half of our recruiters are mothers that came out of the real estate industry that wanted a better balance in their life. They have smaller children and they wanted today. I mean, I think we're a little ahead of our time because we've had recruiters, a recruiter 14 years with us, wanted more flexibility, wanted to be able to work from home. The hours could be different, wanted to earn a good income. And so we provide that. But you know, it, it takes a lot of give and take uh, because we don't count hours. We just count results. And we're very um, keen on, you know, family issues. We've gone through so many of them. And Kent's just the best. We really care 
about our team and family first. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you touched on so many issues that are going to, you know, resonate with so many people in terms of, you know, work-life balance. But you also, um, in the times of COVID, we're already, sounds like you're already operating in an environment that is not based on necessarily coming to a physical location, but on results. Um, so I'm, can I guess that the, although COVID obviously had a huge impact that maybe on your operations was not as substantial as others? It, it really had a minimal impact on us. The, the, but we did, we did practice what we were preaching to our clients, that you have to be willing to hire someone without meeting them. And you have to be able to onboard them remotely. I've done it. Yeah. People so, were amazed. I've done it a few times. <laughs> yeah, we had never done it. So we hired... Our, our recruiter in Dallas, and we had never met him. You know, we hired him through the Zoom process, onboarded him through Zoom, and, you know, finally met him a year later. And I bet he was exactly what you thought he was. He is. He's he's just terrific. And now, um, well, Kent met, I haven't met um, uh, another recruiter that's, that's just starting with us. So that was... Now that was a big leap for us, and um, but otherwise we've always been remote. All of our recruiters, um, you know, and they work from home. If they need an office, we provide that. You know, in the day of the you know we work or whatever, and we still can provide that. But um, the efficiency that uh, recruiters can gain from working from home, they, they all prefer it. Um, but you've got to keep that connectivity we learned that our recruiters were really yearning our team for that camaraderie and that team spirit. So we, you know, we did a bingo, a Zoom bingo. We, <laughs> we did a Zoom family feud. We did a Zoom trivia game. We did a Zoom wine tasting. Yep. So, and they, they want more of it. They love it. So, um, we just did a pajama party. So that was kind of fun. So you got to be creative. And that's kind of my job. Kent's like, you handle the employee relations. And I love it. So um, we are having our first in-person retreat in April. So um, everyone's so excited. That's awesome. That. So let's hope another variant doesn't come up. Yeah, I know. We're hearing rumors of it or signs of yeah. it. Um, yeah. Well, I only have a couple more questions. You mentioned, uh, I know you talked about work-life balance. So, Jana, what what do you like to do when you're not working? Well, I've really gotten into golf, Tim. Okay. I, I, I have moments of brilliance and, and, and moments of utter defeat, but I'm staying with it. And so that's why I spend time in Scottsdale now. I, I go between Newport and Scottsdale. So I'm really trying to... Um, uh, uh, improve that game and well, you should uh, play in our you should play in the naop golf tournament coming up uh at the end of june if you're in okay. so i probably will be since it's probably going to be 110 here exactly um and you know i i've kept myself um you know healthy in terms of the gym so love my workouts and that sort of thing and then i love my friends i'm a friend collector so, um, 
just really enjoy spending time. And I've had a lot of guests here in, um, in Scottsdale. Awesome. Last year. So, and then my family spending time with the family and it, you know, nieces and nephews. And so, uh, that's pretty exciting. That's great. Um, so where, do, where do you see the, you know, you look at talent every day, where do you see the future of, of commercial real estate state talent going? And then second question would be, are we making progress on diversity and inclusion in the industry? Okay. Well, I, I think the talent it's my concern is the lack of talent, meaning our industry is, um, it's not as well known as you would think people don't go to college and I'm going to be a commercial real estate professional. We need more schools having varying degrees in, in commercial real estate. We need the large firms to be educating um, young professionals on the opportunities in commercial real estate. And um, we also need to make sure that these firms have good training and development programs. Um, for people because that's an attraction. Uh, also, uh, our firm, you know, real estate's been brick and mortar. So it's, everybody's in an office or it's just, it's, that's just the, the nature of the business. So I think uh, firms are really gonna have to rec- uh, be much more flexible with their hours, much more flexible with their, uh, where the work environment mm-hmm. is, they're going to have to offer more social responsibility um, in terms of, you know, giving back uh, because that, that generation wants that. And, you know, obviously they want a balance in life. I mean, today these, these, the generation wants more time off than sometimes more pay. Right. No, I mean, I think you'll you'll probably be happy to know. I mean, when I came in, and I think even before I came in, when you know here at NAP SoCal, we've started to build up some partnerships, more partnerships with local colleges and universities, trying to address um, the talent pipeline issue and to inspire more students to pursue careers in commercial real estate. And we have, you know, we have the YPG program. You're probably aware of a mentorship program. Um, we're doing a day in the life next week uh, to show, uh, you know, college students what what a day in the life of a commercial real estate professional looks like. So we're we're banging away at it, Jana. But it it is it is a challenge. Most uh, even colleges and universities think of re- residential, and yeah. some of them don't even consider commercial. And we're we're just trying to make progress, you know, and 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 to diversify our who comes into the industry because that is important. It's extremely important and it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight, but you know, SC is known as the real estate school, but we need to have more of that, more colleges that are having a broad array of degrees in the commercial real estate field. So I just think the larger firms, both public and private need to connect better with their alma maters and, and give back in that regard to help. Right. Well, that's a great note to end on. Um, 
Jana, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. I want to remind people, uh, I've been talking to Jana Turner of Retz Associates. Jana has uh, an amazing story. Um, and it was, it was, I'm Tim Jamal. I'm the CEO of NAB SoCal. Jana, it's been, been great talking to you today. Thank you, Tim. I've really enjoyed it. And I hope there's a few takeaways for the listeners. I know there will be. Uh, thank you all. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And tune in again for our next episode, uh, where, where I will be talking to people like Jana, who shape and drive commercial real estate in Southern California. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.